And in Silver Lining Living, I said, every gray cloud will break at some point and the sun will come back. And, you know, it's choice. It's like, what is good about this? Like, like what is good about me losing $10 million? Well, what is good about it is I won't lose it again because, you know, I now know why I lost it. And I'm not going to- And gonna it's count. already gone. So you can't lose the anyway, right? again. <laughs> and the good news about losing $10 million is you know how to make it. So you can make it back a lot faster. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Todd Duncan, who probably needs no introduction. Todd is creator of Sales Mastery, plus author of numerous books for mortgage brokers and loan officers. Probably trained more mortgage brokers and loan officers than anybody that I know. This is the first time I ever had a chance to actually sit down and talk to Todd. And I kind of wanted to ask some questions that I felt like other people hadn't already asked asked him. He's been interviewed so many times. And so hopefully if you've listened to Todd before, you pick up some things from this conversation that you did not. And so I was really mindful of asking some of those questions. A couple of things, takeaways that I got from this conversation. First, he talks about how to make your thank you gifts last forever. I asked him the question about if he could have a dinner with anybody living or dead right now, who would it be? And his answer was actually pretty, I was like, oh, that's super cool. He shares an amazing story about how a chance encounter with an Uber driver and paying attention to the decimals changed the Uber driver's life and just how that relates to being successful in the mortgage business. Just so many great things. Conversational productivity, you know, why you need to listen more and talk less. The whole thing is fantastic. So a couple quick things. First, if you are interested in going to Todd's Sales Mastery event in October 2022, so this year, we have a coupon code for you. It's POD200, and I'm going to go. And so if you want to go, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun, we can hang out maybe when we're down there. Plus, when I go to events, I'm always about what am I going to learn, and then I try to distill those lessons down into a handful of takeaways. And so if you go and you reach out to me and say, hey, Scott, I used your coupon code to go, then I'm going to do a couple follow-up calls with whoever does. So that group, small group, big group, whatever it is, we'll go deep into some of the things and try to really distill because sometimes when I find these events there's so much content there's so many things going on and you don't need to have a million things you just need to figure out what those few things are that were most useful and so if you're interested in joining me in that it's totally free all you got to do is go to his event reach out to me let me know that you used that coupon code pod 200 and we will be definitely chatting and probably seeing each other in uh, Palm Desert so before I jump into this episode though I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor Finmo Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform and and it is fantastic, easy to use. Borrowers love it because it's simple. Brokers love it because it just frankly works. And it's got some cool features like smart docs. So as a person's filling it out, it's figuring out what documents they need. So if they're self-employed, it asks for the correct documents. It also has smart submission notes. When you go to hit submit, it actually pulls data from the application to let the lenders know. And you may be thinking, well, the lender should know that. The thing is, is that every lender has a different platform and some of them, it almost looks like they're running on MS-DOS systems. And so it's not always as pretty and sexy as what you see on your end. And so making it easy for them with the submission notes is actually very useful. And it also connects with Lender Spotlight. So check out finmo.ca, amazing tool. And also on today's Ask the Expert segment, I talked to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about software. So we jump into some tips on software. Have a listen to this conversation with Todd. And again, if you're gonna go to the event, let me know, I'd love to meet up. Hey, Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, man, good to be with you, Scott. What's going on? Oh, man, I'm excited for this conversation. And I got a lot of questions that I'm hoping you haven't been asked before. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. But before we do, in the rare event that somebody doesn't know who you are, so maybe just tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do. 
Well, the long and short of it is I was going to be a doctor, but my dad told me I wasn't fit for being a doctor and he was a doctor. And so he told me in my sophomore year of college that I should be in business. And so he paved the way for me to, to get into business. And I graduated. I had no idea really what I wanted to do, but one of their dear friends, my mom and dad's was a guy named Don Tarbell. He was my little league coach when I was 13 and just so happened that he owned a real estate company that owned a mortgage company. And so we were at a party in the 4th of July, the year after I graduated from college. And he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm not sure. And he said, how about mortgages? And I said, that sounds good. What's that mean? And he goes, you know, why don't you meet with Dave? Dave's the president of our mortgage company. And I got into it and I failed miserably for, I don't know, probably four or five months. And I was smart enough to realize stuff wasn't happening the way it needed to happen. And so I called a friend of mine whose father owned a real estate company. And I said, can I just come by and hang out? and watch what mortgage and title people do when they call on realtors. Mind you, this is 1980. Interest rates are 18.5%. Right, right. And uh, not a good time to become a mortgage professional. But my attitude was, you know what? I'm not going to participate in the recession. I'm going to have a positive attitude. Long and short of it is I watched a guy come in at four o'clock that afternoon and he became my mentor and taught me the things that I needed to do. And the most profound thing that he said was decide right now if you want to be about transactions or if you want to be about relationships. And I said, why is that important? And he said, transactions will make you a living relationships will make you a fortune. So I started focusing on relationships, funded 6,000 loans in 12 years and had a bigger calling. And the bigger calling was what could I do to help other mortgage and real estate professionals win in life, fall in love with their life. And I've been doing that now for maybe 29 years. It's fun. Wow. Crazy. Something you said that I want to ask about. So what was it specifically that your father saw that was like a doctor is not your calling? What was it that he saw in you? Yeah. So I think that, you know, any great leader and obviously, you know, my dad as a leader, any great leader can help somebody pursue their gifts. You know, what is your gifted zone? And when you follow your gifted zone, you are really in flow. And when you try to be something you're not, you're really in kind of a resistance mindset, right? And I tell people all the time, like I spoke to 500 leaders on Saturday in Miami and and I said, I'm going to give you a newsflash right now. If anybody tells you to work on your weaknesses, don't do it. You're weak for a reason there and don't try to get good at what God left out. And everybody kind of chuckled, but I said, no, seriously, what is your gift? What is your genius zone? For my dad, it was a doctor and he graduated from Stanford with a degree in psychology and became an accountant. So when he was 30, he said, I want to be a doctor. And he didn't open his medical practice till he was 40, if you can imagine. So he told me, he said, I don't want you to be a doctor. It's not your genius zone. It's not your gifted zone. You are solid in business, you know, get your business degree. And I graduated with a 3.9 after leaving the pre-med program at a 1.4 GPA. So it obviously worked. <laughs> you, were, you were on the right path. So can well, I ask you this? It, oh, no, sorry, there's no gonna... resistance. When you follow your gifted zone, you're naturally more successful. You ride the horse in the direction it's going, as they yeah. say. So, yeah, yeah. okay, has there been any period in the, you know, the 30 plus years you've been in business, you've ignored that and you've done something and then you realize and you had to backtrack on it? Because I've catch myself doing this. I'm creative. I see ideas. I'm like, oh, I could do that, even though it's not my natural gifting. Have you done this? And if you have, I'd love if you could be specific. So that, you know, I mean, I can, I can go very, very large with this and I can just say that, you know, I'm not trained in mergers and acquisitions. You know, I am a relationship guy and I think that I got out of my lane when I was trying to take my company and trying to go very large and very global with it. And what ended up happening is I bought a company 
five times bigger than my revenues. And I shouldn't have done that. It was a wrong call. You know, I didn't do enough due diligence. I bought it from somebody that I loved and he loved me and we still love each other today. But it set in motion about eight years of recovery. I lost, I don't know, I lost just shy of $10 million. And, you know, at the end of that whole time, my wife died from breast cancer. And, you know, I oftentimes wonder if how distracted I got in buying this company. It not only hurt me financially, but I'm sure it created stress in our family. And, you know, to lose my wife during that battle and to have two young kids, 13 and 12, if I just stayed in my lane, you know, my whole motto was keep it small and keep it all. And I got big and I got big and it clipped me really, really hard. And so, you know, for some people, growth and going big is great for others. You know, keeping it small and manageable and super profitable is great. I'd like to think that we're a small company with a big engine and, you know, we have 5 million clients around the globe. And so it's worked out, but that was probably the most painful example of what happens when you get out of your lane. Right. When you start trying to push the horse in a direction, it's not meant to go. Yeah. That metaphor. Okay. So the question I have for you, what's the biggest challenge about being Todd Duncan that the average person doesn't know about. So we see you as a speaker, author, written up 17 books, maybe more now, all this stuff. But so what is the thing that people don't know that is a challenge about what you do? I'm a human being going through life, trying to use my gifts, and I am not insulated from anything that you struggle with either. I'm just like you. I have to wake up every day and choose my mindset. I have to every day grow. I mean, every day I got to pay attention to my relationships with my wife and I got to be a great leader for my boys. I have setbacks. I'm just a human being. And I just try to go to bed at night knowing that I made the best out of the day and any of the lessons that got served up to me. I want to make sure that I learn the big ones really fast because I think that, you know, mistakes continue to happen if you don't learn the lesson. And I said this to my son yesterday. I said, I just want to tell you because he's 25 years old and he's in a really beautiful journey of self-discovery and becoming, you know, his best version of him. And I said to him, I said, I really appreciate your pursuing your best life. You're 25 and you need to pursue your best life until you die. But I don't want you to think that means you have to be perfect because, you know, progress is helpful. Perfection is harmful. And I told him, I said, you know, just get a little bit better each and every day. And that's what I try to do, you know, and one day we're going to be done and we'll take our last breath. And I think that's what I want people to know. And I said to him last night, I said, you would not believe how much advice I get from reading my own books that I've written. Right. Like who wrote this book? You're really like, this guy's flipping so smart. (laughs) That's as human as I am though. You know, when I, when I was going through that setback with that company, I read time traps, which is my book on time management. And there's a a great book. It's a great book. Failure trap. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess I'm just like you. (laughs) Okay. That's very interesting. So let me ask you this. How do you reset your mindset? So you seem like you've obviously got a very strong mindset, but there must be some things that you can, you know, accumulate things that happen. What are the things that you do to get your mindset back on track? So that you don't go into a, you know, I often think like a good golfer will hit a bad shot, but then they'll reset quickly. Yeah. A bad golfer like myself, the hole is gone and probably the round. So what do you do? <laughs> what do you do to reset? Oh man, we could spend the rest of the time on this. I got up a meeting this morning with about a hundred real estate and mortgage professionals. And we were talking about the market getting hard. And one of the gals started to cry a little bit because her personal life is getting stretched a little bit with what's happening in the markets and everything. And I said, you know, all of us are going to experience tough times. And I said, you know, my belief is that tough times never last, but tough people do. 
And so that requires mindset. And I talked about a concept that I did an audio on probably 25 years ago. It was called Silver Lining Living. And in Silver Lining Living, I said, every gray cloud will break at some point and the sun will come back. And, you know, it's choice. It's like, what is good about this? Like, like what is good about me losing $10 million? Well, what is good about it is I won't lose it again because, you know, I now know why I lost it. And I'm not going to- it's count. already gone. So you can't it's lose gone the same anyway, 10 million right? again. <laughs> and the good news about losing 10 million is you know how to make it. So you can make it back a lot faster. But I said, you know, are you going through something or are you- growing through something. And I got to mm, tell you, you know, good. Scott, or, you know, being in the mortgage business, being a broker, bottom line is if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you don't look at hardship as positive, I mean, when we go to the gym and we work out, we create pain in our muscles, but it's the pain that causes the growth. And that's how life is. You know, are you going to be overcome by it? Or are you going to do a reset every morning? You're going to say, here's the intentional mindset I'm setting for the day. And by the way, anything that happens that isn't part of the plan, I'm going to have a curious mindset and I'm going to wonder, hey, I wonder why that happened. I wonder why, right. why this happened. I mean, oh, look at that. That's interesting. And if you have a healthy attitude towards growing through something, then every moment of adversity can help you win. So this gal, I said, give me an example of how you're doing that. And she said, 30 days ago, when you told us to pick a new habit for 30 days, I said, my habit is I'm not going to watch the news. And she said, there's nothing valuable in watching the news and it stresses me out and I'm going to choose not to watch the news. Did you know her blood pressure came down 23 points, 23 points by not watching the news. I'm going, wow, who would have ever thought? I'm not going right, to put right. negativity into my mind and my heart is going to get healthier. Wow. And the news absolutely increases stress level. Like, 100%. It hasn't gotten any better. Okay, yeah. so you, you seem like you're very goal-oriented and I'm sure that you've checked off a lot of your goals. What is still on your bucket list? So one of the bucket lists is I'd like to get my book sales to 10 million and I'm past five. And for me, it was just a goal I set when I wrote my first book. And I love the idea that that translates into impacting people. So I, I want to do that. The other bucket list thing that's really big on my mind is I want to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, I want to do it with both of my sons. And so we're going to be thinking about how do we put that into play. I want to produce two great sons of character, two great men of character. That's not only a bucket list, it's a life list. I've lived so well. I've had so much fun. And I feel like I'm just getting warmed up. You know, I've got decades ahead of me, as long as I stay healthy and no calamity hits me to do anything I want, anywhere I want for as many people as I want. One of the big goals was to get over 40,000 people to attend one of our events. And we did that in 2020. We had 44,000 people from nine countries. We had mortgage brokers. You're going to love this. We had mortgage brokers from Istanbul, Turkey, if you can imagine. I, I've didn't, got even guy, know they, I didn't even know they had mortgage no, brokers in and Istanbul. No, and I got a guy right now that posts on Instagram, and it's all Farsi, and I can't see it, but he's an English-speaking Iranian motivational speaker, and he wants to teach high trust to business people in Iran. And right. part of my bucket list is I want to be in 25 countries. The books are in 53 languages. I want to have an active business in 25 countries. And right now it's probably nine. Right. <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Right, right. I, and the other thing though, is the bucket list thing is good, but you know, I, I think back to that Tim McGraw song, you know, live while you were dying, you know, yeah. and that was, it was the whole kind of thing is don't perpetuate these things. Cause you never know when your breath is going to be snuffed out. Right. When your card will be punched. Yeah. Um, right. So, okay. I got a couple other questions I want to ask. So what's the first thing you notice about a person when you meet them? Well, the first thing I notice is eye contact. 
And yeah. the second thing I notice is emotion. So when you have eye contact and somebody's approaching you and you can see the emotion in the eyes, you have a connection that's already happening. And we had a Hytra Sales Academy in Dallas, Texas in December. We had 256 mortgage brokers attend that event. And I had people come up every break and eye contact led to tears and tears led to discovery and discovery led to growth. And I had adults, 40, 45, 50 year old adults making commitments and contracts with how to change their life and to watch the pain. Saturday in Miami, I had three business owners come up to me and all three were crying because they had the same challenge going on with one of their children that I have going on with both of my children. And there was this just immediate connection because you can, mm -hmm. when you start to talk about something that's very very deep and emotional, you know, it does physiologically trigger tears. And I see that. And so for me, what I try to tell people is connect at the eyes and they'll lead you to the heart. Mm -hmm. But if you don't connect to the eyes, you can't have a heart-based conversation. So I noticed that and I noticed huge levels of fear and uncertainty. I see that almost instantly, you know, beyond the tears is the fear of change. You talk about mindset and, you know, you look at the word fear and fear is just an emotion. And, you know, most people believe in what it stands for, which is false experiences appearing real. We mm -hmm. kind of put off on something, what it's going to happen, like call reluctance. We imagine a call going the wrong way instead of brilliantly. What would happen if we had call excitement? What if fear became feeling excited and ready? What if that's what fear stood for? These guys were feeding soul show real time as I was talking, you know, kind of the applaudometer or whatever. And mm -hmm. when I started talking about fear is actually a very positive word. If you're purposeful and you're skilled and you have the right motive for what you're doing and you're developed that skill, so you have some confidence, you're going to feel excited and ready and you're going to go. And why would you not do that? And there's this in-between kind of thing, which you take fear and you know, the first one, you know, feeling excited and ready. The middle is face everything and rise. So, you know, you look over your right shoulder and you see the word mindset. What if I just faced everything and rose above? And right, what if right, I saw right. everything I faced as a teacher? Then it would be good, you know? And so I think those are the two things. Emotion leads to the heart and fear gets in the way of progress. Right. And I'm taking notes as you're talking and it's like, there's all these beautiful sound bites. It's like you speak in like, you know, feeling excited and ready is another acronym for fear or false experiences appearing real or face everything. And like, you just obviously from what you've been doing for the last 29 years, they just kind of pour out of you. Let me ask you this. It may seem another random question, but so if you could have lunch with one person alive or dead, who would it be? Wow. I would have lunch with my dad who passed away two and a half years ago. The greatest person of influence in my life. And I miss him. I miss him every single day. I talk to him every day. But if I could have lunch with anybody dead or alive, it would be my dad. Because my dad, my dad, listen to this. My dad changed my perspective, took me from medicine to business. And because of a friend that he had, I got into mortgage. And now we've impacted millions and millions of people. I can actually look you in the eye in the camera and tell you if my dad hadn't had that conversation with me in the driveway, I don't know that any of this would happen. But the fact that we have millions of people that have been influenced, I thank my dad for that every day because he's the one that told me, get into business. And he had the friend that gave me my first job. Wow, that's huge. That's very cool. Okay, so I'm going to change gears a little bit here, but what's the most useless thing you've ever bought? Like, I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man, we're going to have some fun with these questions. So, you know. How about uh, a blow dryer? <laughs> <laughs> okay, beyond um, the blow dryer. 
Boy, I, I don't know that I've ever been asked that question. What is the most useless thing I have ever bought? A bread maker. Because you don't make bread? or you? Well, you just... I wanted to. I made bread in high school at home economics, and I did a really bad job on it. And my grandmother always made homemade bread. So I bought that, and I bought a rice boiler or something like that. I don't use them at all. I just go old school. And I don't make bread. I buy it. It's just easier, cheaper. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stick to your, I got, stick I got to your more appliances that, I'm, that I'll never use. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people buy stuff, and they buy it on emotion, and they never use it, right? I'm a cyclist, and I bought a beautiful bike bike and I paid a lot of money for it 30 years ago and it hung in my garage and I never rode it. And one day the guy called me, he said, how's your bike? And I said, I haven't ridden it. And he says, you bought that thing nine months ago. You haven't ridden it. And I said, nope. And he goes, you need to go on a ride by the end of the day tomorrow. And you need to report in. So it was like accountability. And so I get on the right. bike and I'm reminded about why I bought it in the first place. But that's a kind of an interesting thing because it's a beautiful bike, but it doesn't do one thing for you unless you get on it and ride it. And I think that's what a lot of people do, you know, in health, you buy health, you buy sexy, you buy, you know, weight loss, you buy all that stuff. And it's all based on emotion, which is not bad. But then why doesn't the emotion keep you going? It doesn't keep you going because of fear and procrastination. And now I ride 150 miles a week. I think my bike right now to replace my bike is $27,000. And yeah. I'm in the best shape of my life because I use it. So and somebody, somebody gave you that right. nudge too. Like the key yeah. there is like, there was the nudge, right? Like the nudge and the accountability, which I mean, that ties right into as a mortgage broker, how many times do we buy a program or a insert whatever? And then I always say buy a treadmill, hang your clothes on it. It doesn't do you any good. You're not going to get fit. So that's interesting. And you talked about, you buy it based on emotion. What things can you do to like, you know, get that emotion back to get started again? So if it is something, whether it's, you know, business related or, you know, personal related, what do you find works for that? The simple answer is micro victories. And I'll tell you a quick story to put this into place. I landed in Baltimore, gosh, I don't know, probably four or five months before COVID. And I had a presentation. I get in an Uber and the guy looks in the mirror and he says, what brings you to town? And I said, I'm an author and a speaker. And he looks in the rearview mirror and he goes, so you're one of those motivators, right? And I said, well, I'd like to think that I motivate people to a better version of themselves. And he goes, can you motivate me tonight? And I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, I'm pretty depressed. Every weekend I get on the scale on Saturday morning and I'm really, really just taken aback. I never lose weight. I'm tired of this journey. And maybe you can help me get a better head on my shoulders. And I said, so the problem right now, if you want me to really advise you is you're only weighing once a week. And he said, my trainer told me to do that. And I said, well, how's that working out for you? And he goes, not good. And I said, here's the deal, right? If you don't measure every day, and maybe even like every meal, what you're actually putting into your body. And if you don't have the mindset that, you know, it's good that you might want to lose 40 pounds or 60 pounds, or, you know, we have a guy in Australia that lost 37 kilos, you know, he's in the best shape of his life. It's good that you have a goal that big, but all you need is micro victories every day. And if you look at it, micro victories can come through cutting your food consumption by 25%. It could come through, you know, cutting your fat out of your diet, you know, by 50%. It could come through eating less and eating, you know, more, but the more is more healthy. And I said, you know, I think you need a morning routine. He goes, what the hell's a morning routine? I said, no, here's the deal. Wake up, pee, poop, weigh. And he goes, are you kidding me? I said, no, do the same thing every morning. Make that your routine. You know, get rid of any of your fluids by going to the bathroom both yeah. ways and then stand on the scale and just measure what happens on the right side of the decimal. 
Don't don't right. look at the number in front of it. Just measure what happens on the right side of the decimal. And you know, you'd be surprised if you lost like, you know, one quarter of a pound every other day, what would happen in six months. And he said, Would you hold me accountable? And I said, Well, I don't really have the time to do that. But if you want to send me a picture of the scale every day, I'll reply when I feel it's necessary. But you owe me a picture every day. Every day, Scott. So that what is that? Accountability. That's, that's accountability. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to feel like crap if he doesn't send me a picture. And when he sends me one, all I have to do is hit thumbs up or I can do a little reply. Listen yeah. to this. The guy lost 42 pounds in seven months just by cutting like half that cheese bagel out, getting rid of the coffee latte with all the sugar and syrup in it. And now he's the healthiest version of him he's been in 40 right. years. How long did he send you pictures for? Every day until he hit his goal. Right. Every day. Did wow. not miss a day. So he was paying attention to the decimals instead of the big numbers. So micro, micro victories, micro yeah. victories. You yeah. improve anything by 1% a day. What's your improvement over the year? It's big. I, I've, well, I've done the math before. 65%. Forget yeah, the okay. compounding. Of it. I was thinking about the compounding, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but because, I was like, right? compounding as a mortgage broker, you know, that's going to be pretty decent. But what have you got? Like, what have you got 365% better at having a conversation with a borrower? Right. You know, what if you got 365% better having a conversation with an aggregator or a builder or developer or speculator? You know, what if? Right, right. 1% is easy. 365% is hard. Right. But 1% a day, that's not that hard. My next question is, what's the kind of the best improvement you've made to your high trust curriculum stuff in the last little while? You know, I think what is really interesting about the concept that we can all improve is when you have a book that this year, and actually just last month in February, is celebrating its 20th year of publication, that's a book that matters, right? It's mm -hmm. it's very, very rare that a book stays in print for 20 years. And the law of courtship, which is one of the laws in the book, there's 14 laws, probably the most important law of any relationship that we could ever have. And what the law of courtship says is, if it's not right on the inside, it's never going to be right on the outside, meaning that if you and I don't have shared values, the outside is never going to work. And so it's about this deeper connection. And so what we did is we took the high trust interview and we said, let's innovate this a little bit. Let's understand how we could actually 80, 20, a conversation. How could we teach professionals to use less words? We call it conversational productivity, use less words in the form of questions that give you more information and create more trust and push out any tension or resistance. What if we could do that? So we started measuring the amount of words that a real estate agent would use or a mortgage broker would use in a presentation. And we looked at a hundred and we said, you know, if you could take the hundred down to 80, we started measuring conversion, like conversations that lead to yes. And so at the 80 words, instead of 100 words, we got a 17% yes rate. Okay, not bad, but not great. So then we go all the way down to, let's go from 100 words to 80 words. Let's go from 80 words down to 20 words. So we're going to 80-20. The You're going to flip the other way, right? yeah. And conversion went to 73%. So right. people always go, well, what's an example of that? So I got one that's as fresh. That's what I was, that was my next question. Give me an example. Of this is what... two hours ago. Two hours ago, <laughs> we get a mortgage broker on the phone. There's a team of 50. We're having a, a short follow-up webinar. And I said to them in January, I said, guys, at the end of February, we're going to have a follow-up call. And I want you to report in on how you used talk less, sell more, which is really the white paper around this whole thing. 
And what was the impact? And I want you to do it with 10 borrowers and I want you to do it with 10 referral partners. So I'm asking for volunteers and Tim raises his hand and we unmute him. He goes live and he said, I had a, a meeting with a husband and wife that live in Anchorage, Alaska, and they're moving to Portland, Oregon. And I asked them this question. So everybody's just kind of like bated breath, right? What is the question? Tim goes, here's my question. I looked them both in the eyes and I asked, what would it mean to you to own a home? And that was it. That's the only question he asked. Within about five seconds, the wife is crying. Within about 30, the husband is crying. And you can just see it. Remember I told you about eye contact and, mm -hmm. and emotion? Well, the emotion is the glassy eyes go to pouring out the tears. It ends up, Scott, that if these two people, this couple first-time home purchasers, qualify and buy a home, they would be the first people in the history of the family. Not like in a generation, like for Ever. as far back as the to own a home. Wow. And that's all it took. They completed the application. 21 days later, they were approved. And a couple of weeks later, they settled the loan and now they own a home. And there was no price discussion, no interest rate discussion, no nothing. One question yes right wow that's amazing i remember reading when somebody said the less you say the more people listen and it's kind of what you're talking about right as long as you ask the right questions yes fair enough it can't just be like say nothing i'm gonna no, you just you can't sit there you know yeah but people don't know like in this white paper if your listeners want to download it they can go to toddduncan.com and then it's conversational productivity it's a download we give them six i'll put questions. a link in the show you just oh, click great, on the great. yeah episode we, we, we give them six questions introduction question a present question, a future question, a fear question, an awareness question, a competition elimination question. What does a present question look like? You know, given your business right now, what are two or three changes you'd like to make and why would they be important to you? That's present, future. Given your eyes on the future and looking at next year and the year after, what would you like to accomplish by the end of 2024 that I could come alongside you and help you with? Fear question. What are you afraid of right now in terms of buying a home and how can I come alongside of you and make you feel comfortable with those fears? Awareness question. Are you aware that having a mortgage plan with a mortgage strategy is much smarter than simply going for the lowest rate and lowest cost? It's an awareness question. You right. know, most lenders, most brokers will not ask you the question I'm about to ask you. That's competition elimination. Right. <laughs> so we teach people how to ask those. And if you ask one of the right questions and you shut up to your point, listen, right? Actively mm -hmm. listen. It's powerful. So what I want to tell everybody, I'm going to look you right in the eye. Ask the questions you haven't asked. So you can learn the things you haven't learned. So you can solve the things you haven't solved. That's how you create loyalty and relationship. Right. And that goes back to the whole high trust selling and yeah. building yeah. massive amounts of, yep. okay, yep. that's powerful. Let me ask you this. If you were a borrower, so I'm going to switch gears. If you're a borrower and you had to screen potential loan officers, mortgage brokers, what would be a question you'd ask them? You know our world, but let's put on the hat of I'm outside this world for a second. I'm a borrower. I'm a, what would be a question that you'd ask if you're trying to decide on like which loan officer mortgage broker I should work with? Well, I guess the obvious is what makes you different from every other, you know, mortgage broker in town or what makes you different from any lender in town? I know that you call lenders, you know, I think you're wholesalers and you choose lenders, but what would be that? The other question I would ask is besides what makes you different, I would ask what is the most important advice you can give us 
before we sign a contract? Or what's the most important advice you can give us before we decide to use you, if we decide to use you? And that just frames up a beautiful awareness question. And you can come back to that. What are the biggest problems you see homeowners make and how can we avoid them? If I'm a borrower, I want to make sure that I'm working with somebody that's advice first, price second. Right. And if you're price first, then I probably need to understand that the lowest rate doesn't mean the best overall deal. Right. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. So I'll switch back to mortgage brokers for a second. What if- We can stay on borrowers too. We can go anywhere you want. Yeah. yeah any borrowers. <laughs> so that's, so I know you're good at asking questions. So if you were considering joining a mortgage company, so this is people that are listening and let's say I'm a mortgage broker, loan officer, what would you process look like? Or what questions would you ask before deciding to join? What's your sort of advice for somebody who's thinking about that or going through that right now? You know, having coached a bunch of people through this, I would look at what makes us a values match. You know, because I don't want to join a company if I'm a broker where there's not a values match. So that's number one. I'd want to interview based on that being integrous, right? That we believe in the same things. Like, for example, if I'm a relationship guy and the company says we're just about transactions, you know, we want to sell. Basically a rate shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would want to know that. The second thing I would want to know is what are the value propositions that through your company, your brokers are excited about and how do they work? And I'd want to know that. That can be CRM, that can be marketing, that can be, you know, a whole bunch of things. I want to see if they're really sales centric in their support. And that would be a second one I would ask. And then I would want to know how they would facilitate my dreams. I would like to be able to tell them that in 2026, I want to be here. Tell me how you can help me get there. Those are the three questions I'd want to know. And then I'd want to talk to one or two or three other people just like me that made the change. And they can tell me this is the best place for you to be. Right. That's really, really good. Yeah. What is your favorite place to vacation and why? So, you know, on a personal um, note. I love Europe. I love the Mediterranean. I love Paris. Paris is probably my favorite spot in the world to hang out. I go there because I love the culture. I go there because I love the international flair. I go there because my wife writes screenplays and we're looking for stories all over the world. So that'd be one, my second favorite place. And one that might be taking over my first favorite place is Australia. I've been to Australia, I know, 50 times. And I mean, I can't wait to go back there. It's like my second home. And I love the people there, but I love the ambience of the coastal regions. I love the energy of Sydney and and I love the beach style of Brisbane and the, the Gold Coast. And in Australia, clearly a favorite of mine. And then I love Vancouver. I love the West Coast, Canada. Right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I was talking to a friend in Australia and he told me that he's at the beach and they have a helicopter that flies over and looks for sharks. And if they see one, they send off a thing and everybody gets out of the water. And I'm like, that's just I'm like, that's just another day. Yeah, that's what we do. We just wait. <laughs> and then when it goes away, we go back to the water. I'm like, man. That's just a total crazy thing. That's what um, happens when you're one of the top countries for shark attacks. And, you know, exactly. the, the beauty of that is when you're in the helicopter, 100 feet off the deck of the water, you can see sharks for, you know, 50 yards ahead and 50 yards behind because the shadows are just eerie. Right. It would be freaky. Yeah. What's one thing you wish all realtors knew? That I care about them more than any other broker. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> what, okay, that's a good, you've thought of that answer. Okay, what would be- the No, 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 no. I mean, yeah. I just, it's it's the relationship a, answer. Right, right, right. It goes back to the relationship. And I would yeah. just say when you guys download this conversation of productivity white paper, I'd sit down with every real estate agent, I'd give them a copy and I would go through it if that's your market, you know, if you want to do that. Let me back up and just say, Scott, even though that was for real estate agents, I think the number one thing a mortgage broker should do is help their customers win financially. And here's the reason why I say it. I believe that too many people are working too hard to make 
making too little. And I think that a lot of people just grind it out, you know, and there's nothing wrong with grit and there's nothing wrong with grinding it out, but there's everything wrong with grinding it out if you're not observationally aware of what's not happening that would allow you to not grind it out. And we tell people all the time, we go like, what would you rather do, work 40 years or 10 years to obtain the same results? And people don't even really understand the nature of the question until they really like go, oh, I don't know. I mean, it takes me 40 years to do what I need to do. And I'm going, no, that's just a bad mindset. Right. You no, know, I mean, I got people that make $5 million a year as a mortgage broker and they take 15 weeks off a year and they bring back four or $5 million in commissions to their real estate agent partners. I mean, who would not sign up for that? And I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter how many hours you work. It matters how profitable each hour is. And so in our coaching company, we measure every two weeks, your hourly rate. How many hours did you work? What was your income? And let's measure that. And guess what? Every time we meet, we want to see the hourly rate going up because if you can go from like, we have a coaching student that's been with us a year, started at $32 an hour, which by the way, in Canada, the average income for a mortgage professional is right down between 38 and $44 an hour. In America, it's not any better. What would happen if you could in one year go to $800 an hour? And this girl looked at us and she goes, are you kidding me? And I said, no, we can take you there if you want to go there. $756 right. an hour in 12 months. She went from right. $32 an hour to $756. So how many years less would you have to work if you could take your $32 an hour income to $756? Oh, maybe five years, eight years. And then you got a database and you've got renewable income and you make smart investments. So 80% of your revenue is now residual and 20% earned. Most mortgage brokers, if they stop working, they die financially. Right. You know, you get a book of business, you got to take care of the book of business or it's not going to take care of you. This sounds exactly like what you told the Uber driver about paying attention to the decimals, right? The daily decimal, 100%. which is the little, now it's the hourly rate look over a two week period and you get into mini victories. Hey, I went from 32 to 35 or 38. This is good. I'm moving in the right direction. And then slowly, you know, you get somebody to get to 800. That's even more amazing. You know how we do it? We don't wait every two weeks. We measure every day. So every day, if you're in our coaching company and a member, you have to input the number of calls you make, number of calls that you made to your database, number of calls you made to partners. So big number and then two different verticals. You have to input what percentage of the calls led to a contract and a transaction. And then you have to measure what percentage of the transactions settled. So we have five numbers we're measuring every day. We send an email to our coaching members at 5, 7, and 11, 59, 59, because we can't do your dashboard and measure your metrics unless you give us those five data. data. Right. So every day you can check into your dashboard and you can know where are you relative to your goal based on yesterday. And then all we do right. today is we change whatever we need to change strategy or otherwise to either catch up just like the guy, you know, he could have a bad day in Baltimore and eat a, you know, a double cheeseburger with extra cheese or whatever and go off the rails the next day. But if we're measuring, he can get back on the day right. after that. And I think people need to understand, man, we are a product, good or bad, of what we do every day. Whatever mm -hmm. our behaviors are, whatever our habits are, we are a byproduct of that. Good behavior, good habits, better byproduct. Bad behavior, bad habits. Okay, this has been a lot of fun chatting. I got one last question that I want to point people towards your upcoming event that's coming sure. in October. But so what's the most thoughtful gift you've ever received? 
I wish we could do a whole nother podcast entitled make your thank you gifts last forever. Let's do that sometime. We could, that'd be a fun show. So the answer to your question is I had a guy in a seminar. This is probably three years ago when I was becoming a private pilot and we were having a conversation about my dream airplane. And I told him the kind of plane that I wanted. And this was our masterclass event, $6,000 seminar ticket for two days. These are high hitters. You know, they're really, really guys and gals that want to make it happen. And so we had this dialogue about my plane. And a week later, he called my assistant to confirm there's three classes of the plane. Which class did I want? I didn't know the call had been made. A month later, I get in the mail, FedEx, wrapped in bubble wrap, I get a watercolor painting of the plane I want to buy, taking off over the airport that is my local airport with the runway, with the runway number under the plane. And Michael said, I just want to say thanks for an amazing event. Put this on your desk. Always know that I'm rooting for you. If you ever want to talk to me as a fellow pilot, give me a call. Can't wait to watch your dream come true. And Scott, it sits on my desk in one of my homes every day. And I look at that every day and I go, Michael, Michael. Harrington. Right. Right. That's, so that's you know, we, I'll give you an example of what we, what we do too. So one of the things we do is like when a client has a baby, we send a Tiffany piggy bank. We don't send, you know, a onesie or a clothes or anything like that. We don't send anything with our name on it. Why would we do that? I mean, that's just like in your face branding is ridiculously old school and a hundred percent ineffective. But yeah. if I send you to your daughter or son, a $150 beautiful ceramic piggy bank, blue for boys with white, pink dots for girls and white, how long is that gift going to last? Right. If it doesn't break 18 years, 19 years, maybe even into their 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we stink at giving gifts that matter. We mm. just stink. Our that's rule is we don't give your next book, Make Your Thank You Gifts Last Forever. I wrote yeah. that down. I think that's there's a whole chap. There's a whole chapter in one of our books is called The 10 Golden Rules of Customer Service and the Story of the $6,000 Egg. There's a whole chapter in that book about make your thank you gift last forever. And Harvey McKay was the guy that I had this interchange with, and I'm not going to spill it out right now, but it is profound. When people say thank you in a way that is meaningful, it's win-win. Everybody, everybody wins. And, you know, send a nice bottle of wine. That's cool, but it's going to get drunk and thrown away and you're not going to be remembered. You know, send them a cutting board. Okay. Self-branding in a kitchen, you know, isn't a good idea. I have a client that told me just in conversation, remember, listen with the intent to solve, not to sell. She said, I wish I had a crystal ball. All I heard was, I wish I had a crystal ball. So what did I do? Senator Crystal Ball. I bought her a crystal ball on an 18-inch high sterling silver stand, and it's on her desk, and she looks at it every day. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So, okay, people listening to this, if they want to get to, like, check out something that you got coming up, tell me about this event that you have. It's a big one. I mean, you yeah. know, it's been doing this for a while, so tell, tell me about it. I had a vision in 1992 to start an event called Sales Mastery, and it was designed to help mortgage brokers learn how to win. And I've been doing that event every single year. This year is 2022. It's our 30th anniversary. So we are going all out to celebrate a 30-year journey of an event that has impacted millions of people. We have room for 2,000 people live in Palm Springs, California. And you simply go to toddduncan.com and check out Sales Mastery. It is the thing that I am most proud of because it is people that want to be the best 
learning from the best. So combination of keynote speeches, panels, you know, things that I do, interactive events, it's life-changing, absolutely life-changing. And I'll give you one example. A girl comes to it first year in the business, never closed alone, comes to mastery. First year, one year later, settles $25 million in volume. Two years later, $38 million in volume. Last year, $52 million in volume. She's only three years in the business. And she said, wow. it changed my life forever. And so, yeah, come. It's a beautiful trip. Got a lot of Canadians that love coming down. We got a lot of Canadian coaching members as well. So, yeah, check it out. Palm Springs, California, October 11th through the 14th. Okay. Thanks, Todd. I really appreciate chatting with you, man. Right, it's been buddy. a lot of fun getting to know you better. And if you ever want to do a show sometime on thank you stuff, maybe in the future we'll do another episode on some different topics and questions. Let's get it. Let's do it in a couple of months. I would love to do that. I'm big on the thank you thing. Big. Yeah. Thanks, bud. All right, Scott. Thanks. All right. Thanks again for having a listen to that conversation with Todd. Hopefully you picked up a few nuggets or insights from him and his life that you haven't picked up from other podcasts. That was my hope anyway. And again, if you are interested in attending that event and want to meet up when you're there and do a couple sessions afterwards, do a deep dive into the best insights and ideas. And I find that like if two people are sitting in the same room listening to a speaker afterwards you compare notes you're like wow you picked up on different things than me so one of the cool things about doing that is that you're going to pick up things that i'm not i'm going to pick up things that you don't and we'll be able to like compare notes and both of us will be better so check out that event and let me know if you're going and uh upcoming in this next conversation i talked to tom about software from blue mortgage hey tom welcome to ask the experts hey scott great to be here so, hey, let's talk about software. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know why. Anyways, software, some ideas you have. You guys run a software company for mortgage brokers and some ideas you have on making it run faster. So tell me some yeah. thoughts on that. One thing I think software, maybe the reason why you did the dun, dun, dun at the beginning is that, you know, for a lot of people, experiences are okay, exciting, cool, love software, love tech, love this. You sign up, you're super excited, and then you get in there and you go, holy crap, right? Maybe I'm a little lost. I don't know what the next I'm step is. Yeah. I'm over my head. I thought this was going to be great. What the heck, right? And we hear that and we've seen that with our software. We've seen that with other softwares and we get it. So I want to give people kind of three tips, three steps. So when you do do that, whether it's you know our software or any software, what are those kind of three steps you can take to really make this thing successful? Okay, sweet. All right. So what's the first kind of principle that you have for people helping them get software going because you're right when you buy software it's kind of like the sexy thing or it's like the new yeah. gym membership but then you're like well i don't know how to work <laughs> out you're like i don't really know anything about uh, working out but i got a gym membership yeah so, how does this machine work yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> you see people sometimes i see these videos of people using equipment and it's like they're not using it correctly and people are like, not at all working? and yeah. so we don't want to be like that software should make your life easier and more efficient but only if you've actually got it set up and are using it to its fullest so tell me about right. the first kind of principle Right, right. So the first principle, it's kind of a joke, but kind of a bit serious. You know, everyone says, okay, real estate, what are the three L's, location, location, location. So in software, what are the three D's? I say data, 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 right? So there's also concepts like, hey, if you put garbage in, garbage out, the point being that that is your foundation for any piece of software you use. I don't care if it's a simple, you know, tracking tool, if it's an extremely complex CRM, the whole gamut, if you don't have the right data, the right connections, the tool is not going to be useful for you. So really with that in mind, having a very clear vision of your data, and really I break down data in a couple of ways. One is just, okay, what are the sources? Where am I getting all these different things? And then how am I getting it into my software, right? So is it integration? Is it an import? Is that sort of thing? Those are two very simple questions, but 
I think if you answer them, you're already going to start get a lot of clarity on how this you know tool is going to really help me. Right. Yeah. I had a coach at one time who used to always say, bring the data, not the drama. Cause I'd be like, Oh my gosh, uh, yeah. I'm freaking out. This is, I was doing yeah. Facebook ads and, and sure. they're like, you gotta like, dude, bring me the data, right. Or data, yeah. data. And so I totally agree with you. And when it comes to any, whether it's a CRM or any software tool, you've got to think about data where it's going to come from. Is it going to be manually imported automatic? What are the processes getting it set up? What things need to be in it? Right. In Absolutely. your mind, like when it comes to the looking at data, what do you think of mistakes people make with this part? Yeah, I think one of the big mistakes is going too broad. Right. So people say, hey, I got my email and I got this Excel sheet over there and I got my deal submission, but I actually switched my deal submission in the past year. So I have two places and all that data is useful. But the first step of it is what's the truest source of data? You have all these different things and merging all of them together and sticking it into a tool is very tricky. Right. So right. look at all those places and say, what's the most complete? What's going to give me that stepping stone, that kind of foothold that I can have? Let's start there. And then I can kind of go and potentially expand from there. But let's start simple. What's that one place where I can get the most complete data set? It's kind of like 80-20 principle. Totally. Not a, there's going to be certain places you can get most of the data. And then it may not be 100% perfect, but at least it's efficient. Okay, so first one is mm -hmm. data, data, data. What's the second thing to think about when it comes to integrating software? Right. So, I mean, it's very similar to the data. It kind of goes on that point, but, you know, whether it's data or whether it's setting it up or whatever it is, really kind of be honest with yourself of what this setup looks like. Right. And, you know, let's maybe to do some very simple examples, ones that people know, I always like to use the example of Calendly. Okay. So seems like a simple enough tool. I want to get it up and running. Let's do it. Well, if I'm honest with myself, what does that look like? Well, to the first point data, I've got to integrate my calendar. That's where I'm getting my data from. So I have to do that activity of actually doing it. And then I have to get that service, get it set up in Calendly, and then have the link and put it in all the places that might be interesting, like my website or my email signature or whatever it might be. And then finally, what happens when someone actually books it? Make sure that I have that taken care of so that people booking meetings are actually going to get that meeting with me. And so even if something as simple as that, really kind of having that honest conversation with yourself of, hey, what's everything involved in it? And one of the punchlines along that line of thinking is you're really not alone in that. There's a lot of actually professionals specific to the mortgage industry that help people do exactly that. So you might have that honest conversation and say, holy crap, that sounds complicated and I don't have enough time. Well, there are people out there that can do that for you, that do that all day, every day. Right. Love this principle, who, not how. So yeah. when you yeah. have something to do, most of us entrepreneurs, this is the chief reason for procrastination, by the way, is that we don't know how to do it. And so then we're like, I'll just put it off. I'll have time to do it later. Or I'll figure it out later. But we don't. And so, but if instead of asking, how do I figure this out? You ask, who knows how to do it? And can they help me set it up? And even if I have to pay them a little bit of money, if I keep my time doing mortgages, which is where I get paid and pay somebody that lives in this software world or whatever, it's far more efficient than doing it yourself, I think. Do you have any examples of somebody who's you can think of that did that recently? Yeah, I mean, without naming names specifically, but... No, no, we uh, want I, names, yeah. names, yeah. we want SIN we're numbers. For, we're yeah. out for blood, yeah, yeah. that's right, yeah. Credit scores, give me <laughs> yeah. a I'm just kidding. You're right, date of birth. Um, well, just a simple example, and this happens all the time, you know, someone signed up for our service, our tool, and, you know, there were a lot of steps that kind of had to go into it, and, you know, really wanted to succeed and was jumping on help calls with us, and we really guided them through it, but 
kind of to your point, you know, with the mortgage businesses and that and the other thing. So where we ended up is we said, hey, maybe talk to, there's a service out there, a great team at Western Broker Services, check them out. Yeah, I said, maybe talk to them, maybe they can help. They came in, what was taking this guy tens, if not, you know, a lot, a lot of hours. They did it in five hours. They got everything set up to an absolute T. It cost them very little money and he couldn't be happier now. Right. right. For the so, cost of an appraisal, which we pay for all the time, not all the time, but we routinely cover the cost of to get a file done. You'll spend three days or a week trying to figure something out that you could just be like, pay somebody to do it. I'm a big fan of that. Hire professionals because it's just going to go much quicker for you. And the nice question to ask is when you're doing deals, what's the value of your time, right? Because every hour that you spend on not doing deals, you're paying that out of your wallet, right? And it's, I mean, a hundred bucks an hour is not unreasonable, right? So if you're spending five hours on trying to set this one thing up, you just spend $500, right? So the math starts to become very simple when you start putting it in those terms. Yeah. And it's not your, it's going to take you longer. So and ask who, not how. Don't say, how do I do it? Say, who can help me? Okay. So Mm -hmm. data is number one. Second is think about integrating with services, getting support to help with some of that. Know the value of your time. What would be the kind of the last sort of tip you have from helping you run software faster? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the last one, really, it's a great principle. I do it all the time still myself. You got it all set up. You got your data good. You're feeling good. Be a test client, right? Pretend that you are that Mr. or Mrs. Borrower, whatever you set up, whether it's a client journey, whether it's a Calendly link, whatever it might be, go through that process and make sure, hey, what you had set up, what you had imagined would be the client experience is truly what's actually happening. So be that person and go through it. And I think what you'll notice is just things get unearthed. You'll find some optimization opportunities, or you'll just say, hey, this is great. This is actually what I wanted. And you'll have that confidence going forward as you actually go and implement this tool, the software tool. Yeah. I think it's kind of like you got to test your own Kool-Aid. Like how is it too much sugar? Not enough. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like one of the things we do with new agents in our brokerage is in the first week, we get them to actually do their own personal mortgage application through right. the software, just so they know what it feels like. Like, what is a borrower going to see? Otherwise, you're sort of working on one half of it, not realizing what a borrower sees. And I think you're a little bit in the dark and you need to experience it. So we're not saying you need to refinance your house or buy another house, but just like <laughs> yeah. go through the experience so that you know what they're going to get, what the communication looks like, you know, and then if they have any issues, you'll be able to like guide them. So I think that's really good advice. Even more to your point, like, so with your guys' software, like, run yourself through, if you have follow-up sequences and stuff, run yourself through all of them just to see what it looks like. I often, before when I create a new email, I will send myself the test email, and I'll click all the links from my phone. I won't click them from the computer because I just, like, I got this trust thing. I read it on my phone. I want to look at it. How does it look? I want to experience what the person's going to see, check Mm -hmm. the links, and, you know, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, dang it, something was broken. That link didn't work. Yeah. That didn't work. I didn't update it, and now it's going to the wrong place. Or it hit my spam folder or something like that, right? Those are all those little things you don't really think about when you're building it, but it is so clear when you're on the other side, on the quote-unquote borrower side of things. All right, so let's just recap this. So we're going to wrap up this whole idea on making your software run faster. What were Mm -hmm. your three takeaways? Yeah, so if you're thinking about software, it's the three Ds, data, data, data. Make sure that's set up and working as you want it to. Number two would be as you're thinking about these setups and you realize that the amount of work is overwhelming, there are professionals and you know valuing your time for what it's worth and getting the professional help where you need it. And then finally, once everything is kind of where you need it to be, being that test client, doing it start to finish so you know exactly the experience that your clients are going to have. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you guys are listening to this, Tom, you guys got a great company, Blue Mortgage, Blue with no E. 
And um, yeah. we just actually set up our own back end for our brokerage to help us with managing our files and process. And I got to tell you, it looks slick. So I'm pretty happy about that. So if you're listening to this, check out bluemortgage.ca. And yeah, we'll be talking to you again soon, Tom. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. I really enjoyed getting to know Todd a little bit better and I will definitely have him on upcoming episodes and we'll have some other questions for him. There's a link in the show notes for the Sales Mastery. It's pretty easy to find. Just type in Sales Mastery Todd Duncan event. It's October 11th to 14th and use coupon code POD200. And thanks again for listening to this episode. We will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.